0: You're at The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub, where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching.
1: Welcome to The Coaching Inn. I'm Claire Pedrick, and today it's a delight to have Verity Simcox as our guest. Verity and I met in Prague at the ICF Global Conference three years ago. Yeah, yeah.
0: 2019
1: pre-pandemic indeed indeed the last time I went on a plane I think actually wow so welcome Verity tell us about your coaching journey and then tell us about this interesting intersection between coaching and mental health
0: well so my coaching journey I think I've probably always been a coach if I'm honest I think I'd go back to what was I like at school I was the one asking questions all the time so I think I've always been a coach I think it just took me a while to actually carve it out as a career Mm. um but yes I so I kind of began in the world of psychometrics like 10 years ago um and just dabbled a bit and then um I actually had very early on in my um coaching career I had a experience where mental health had affected one of the teams that I was going in to work with, with this particular psychometric tool. Um, And that really shaped my journey. And I came back from that really interested in, or more interested in mental health. I think it's fair to say that that's always been part of, you know, who I am and what I'm interested in. So then I decided to go and do a part time counselling qualification along with everything else. So I'm not a counsellor, but I am a coach. Uh, I have a master's from Henley, um, but I definitely have a therapeutic background and underpinning to what I do.
1: So I'm really interested in what difference did it make, did the counselling underpinning make to the coaching?
0: that is I've been asked that question a lot and that is really hard to answer because it's almost backwards to the coach training so kind of day one of therapy school for me was um learning about my uh assumptions learning about myself learning um about my non communication how I sit um And learning about listening, so actually not saying anything, just listening and reflecting. So it was, there was no tools, there was no theory, there was no method in those first probably few weeks. It was very much getting you used to just sitting in space with somebody else and responding and thinking about what's going on for you and and like learning to quieten that Mm -hmm. um, so that you can be present Whereas kind of day one in coaching was, it was tools, you know, it was let's, let's a grow model. Yeah. At was, Henley. Yeah, at Henley. Yes. Yes. And it, you know, it was very much tools and it was fantastic, but it was, the shift was very different. And it wow. was only after a few weeks that we started getting into um, thinking much more about ourselves and the, it might've changed. You know, I, I started in 2016, which is a long time ago now and coaching, has grown massively uh, since then but it was yeah it was tools focused so it was a real shift Um, and I remember in my first essay so we had to do a series of essays and I remember saying how strange it was not to um kind of gone through that process of thinking about how I sit on a chair and thinking about how I show up physically and actually it was more about what you know what questions responding listening those sorts of practical elements I suppose. That's
1: so interesting because we talk a lot in our training about how you sit.
0: Do you? Yeah. Oh that's fantastic so uh, yeah that's um, in counselling well, there's an acronym which is solar B, and you'll ask me to tell you what that is in a minute. I'll completely forget. I will. <laughs> um, there you go. See. Um, so yeah. So it's it's sitting upright and it's open posture. So and you know no crossed legs, no crossed arms, um, no tables or desks. And obviously this is in therapy. Um, the solar S O L. So um, L is leaning back slightly on your chair to give that more of that uh, inviting posture. So I have got to spell it now. E. Can't remember. That's this is terrible, isn't it? R. Um, so that was relaxed. So you kind of went through a little exercise of just relaxing the tension out of your hands, out of your shoulders. Um, and then the B was breathing. Don't forget to breathe and pace yourself so that you're not, you know, as our voices naturally go faster and slower, we're not rushing in for questions. Um, yeah. So I'm interested now, Clare, so I'm going to ask you. So how how am I meant to sit as a coach? Well, I think there are lots of ways of sitting as a coach, but I think you need to think about
1: it because because our position and our pace and our tone all have an impact on the quality of the conversation. And we talk a lot to people about working online. Yeah. And one of the issues is that when we're coaching online, we're coaching people who've probably been sitting on the same chair in the same rectangle
0: yeah. for
1: two and a half years now. And and if you're working with somebody who's bringing a situation to coaching that they have experienced in that very same chair, mm-hmm. we need to do something different. So that. We've always spoken about it, but now it's much, much, much more of an issue. And I, I love that. And I, I learned it because I was talking to a friend, a, a, a coaching friend who happened mm. to say to me in, a, in a, a Zoom call, "Oh, I just had this really awful meeting. And every week I have this meeting and it's awful. And I said, what, right there in that chair? And the person went, yeah, right here in that chair. And I said, yeah, and you've got no background on. So I can see that you're in your home. So you're watching yourself having a bad meeting in your home. Mm. And he went, yeah, I am on tight. And I went, is that OK? And he went, no. So he mm. started using a background. And also, I think we, we work quite a lot with um, managers around the world. Using coaching in not for profits. And one of the things that I talk to them about is if you're going to receive feedback from your line manager and you're working from home, you need to be in a place where you can leave that place and go to a place of safety if the feedback is difficult. And if you're if you're in your bedroom, because it's the only place that you can manage to be private in your home, you can't be receiving bad feedback in your bedroom, because then where'd you go? No. so even if you have to go and be in the street on your mobile phone that would be better yeah. so so yeah so I so so posture sitting tone position matter yeah
0: yeah they do they do I think I no, think. I completely
1: agree completely agree with you so you're doing this great research Verity around mental health and and coaching And I'm just wondering how much you're willing to share about what you're learning.
0: Oh, I, I'm, well, I'm still at the very beginning. And the more I talk to people who are doing PhDs, I think it is probably always the beginning because there's well in qualitative work. um, There's always more questions that arise. So we met in Prague just after I'd finished my master's and I had researched specifically then how coaches make sense of mental health.
1: Mm.
0: And that was born from um, not just being in the Henley classroom, but talking to other coaches as well. Um, And I kind of had all these questions around. So as a coach, we're not allowed to coach mental health. That's, That's kind of the clear boundary that all the professional bodies agree on if there's a mental health issue refer to a therapist and yet the coaching models are based on very similar models to therapy and not everybody knows they've got a mental health issue before they turn up in our coaching relationships sometimes these things arise we're humans I was in retail before I moved into the coaching therapy space and I think when you've been in any profession and you've been with people and you've spoken to people you you never know what they're going to say and as coaches we have this you know such intimate relationship with our clients and it's a relationship they don't have with anybody else Mm. so I was like well how do we how do we know if we're not collectively and I know so many schools are now introducing mental health awareness and there's more courses popping up but if we kind of say actually it's not standard practice for coaches to have mental health training or well-being training how do we know how do we know when somebody turns up and that was kind of my conundrum and then of course like we get into the theory of oh this is the dark side of this personality and you know, the Hogan profile um, assessments, they talk about dark sides of traits and things. And I'm there thinking, but is it a dark side or is it a drama triangle or is it this? And so I think that's where I came from. And um, I was very lucky with that piece of research because um, the ICF research portal helped me find lots of coaching participants from across the globe. So that was fantastic. But that actually, has spurred me on to where I am now, which is this starting my well, I'm a year into my PhD at Birkbeck, University of London. Um, and I've kind of continued with the same theme, but I'm taking it into the workplace. So I'm thinking about what, what's it like going to work when you've got a mental health issue. And How does, you know, how do your managers support you? How do they make sense of your behavior? What do they think about mental health? And taking a real uh, experiential view, you know, what's the experience of holding these two things? Because what I'd really like to do is, you know, my, my big ambition, and I think when you start a PhD, we have these wonderful ambitions that slowly become smaller and smaller as we go along, is it would be lovely to at the end of this journey have an effective tangible coaching solution that can work ethically in this space and I say ethically in kind of glitter and gold stars and flashing neon bubbles um so yeah so I think your question what am I discovering this is probably the most complex subject and a subject that isn't really spoken about very much in coaching and yet the more coaches I connect with and I I know you're equally connected to lots of coaches it's it's kind of the number one question how do I know when I'm at that boundary and there's mental health and I've got to refer it's on that we're mind.
1: yeah and I think that in different parts of the world people feel more or less fluent Mm. about it so I think in the states coaches will refer much earlier and that's partly because of the places that they can refer to are more visible more easily accessible and all of that kind of stuff I think in the UK people feel more confident about going closer to the edge but certainly for me um, having done the mental health first aid training mental health aware training Having a little bit of an insight into where the boundaries are from standing on the boundary, I think gives you more confidence, doesn't it, to move yeah. closer to that boundary and i I love coaching people who are in therapy love yeah. it because really much anything goes because they've got a safe space to take it to, yeah immediately. If we, if we fall over something that needs to be dealt with in another space. And what I notice is that means really pretty much anything goes yeah. and we don't fall over that thing, which, which I think is fascinating. Yeah. Um, We talk about it and we talk about whether we're likely to fall over it. We talk about what we're going to do if we do, but we don't. Yeah. Uh, And that, of course, builds people's agency, doesn't it? And they go, oh, it's amazing. I've had a conversation which isn't about this being a bad thing.
0: Yeah. So, and your comment there about it being a bad thing is actually something that is being challenged by other researchers outside of the coaching space at the moment is what can we do proactively for mental health and wellbeing? Um, And you know, the psychology has been built on the you know the pathology of our mental state. So, you know, identifying when things have gone wrong. And you know, it's not really until the world of positive psychology came along that we actually started thinking differently. You know, when I say we, you know, collectively people started thinking differently about all these different things. So this idea that mental illness is always diagnosable there's always something wrong with you you know wrong with you it's a hugely negative thing you know is is wrong and actually what we've got now is so many more complex models around well-being and you know thriving and struggling and flourishing that actually for a coach it does make it really quite difficult to know what your, you know, what is there? You know, are they just in a period of low well-being? Is there a mental illness? But equally, you know, Claire, a lot of the private clients that I see, they might have a diagnosed mental illness. They might have something very complex. They're being supported either by a therapist, by their GP, by um, sometimes a you know psychiatric uh, professional, mm-hmm. sometimes it might be on medication. So there is something really freeing in that as a coach that actually we can talk about, well, what does that mean to where they want to use our coaching and their goals and you know, all these other things that are really important for everyone's well-being. You know, having that sense of fulfillment and achievement and progression, there's huge well-being benefits in that. And I'm very passionate that with the right support it's something that we should be able as coaches we should be able to be more inclusive about so mm. long as our clients are supported and we know and we have you know you said it about this conversation you you know what happens what are we going to do if something comes up how are we going to solve it together mm. and i you know i've done i've done a few you know different bits and pieces now since my first bit of research and a lot of it is making coaches more confident to kind of sit in that intersection between coaching and therapy Hmm. the space that is gray and it's unknown and it's complex and just kind of sit there and listen and take you know strip it back to some of those basic you know okay so let's co-create this moment together now What Mm. do you want? How can I help you? Where are we going? You know, what do you need? Um, Mm. And remove that panic that some coaches share with me, they feel and they experience when they get close to the boundary.
1: Yeah. And I think when we demonstrate a high level of anxiety, when we get close to the boundary, the boundary becomes risky, but it becomes Mm. risky partly because it's risky, but actually also because, I'm losing my capacity to manage not knowing and I'm getting anxious and my anxiety will project into the space between us. It's interesting because as you were talking, I remembered years and years ago, I was not trained in this school of thinking, but I used to meet a lot of coaches who said who would do an intake questionnaire, including a question about are you on medication for anxiety or or depression and if people were they wouldn't work with them yeah I mean I have an issue with that kind of an intake because it makes you sound like you're a GP and you're not because actually the thing for those of you in the rest of the world a GP is a doctor (laughs) um but but the more we do a questionnaire intake like that asking people in detail about their journey the more we look like we are an expert and the, yeah. and, and the amazing most wonderful thing
0: we bring to coaching is that we're not. Yeah. So I, um, and actually I shared this back in Prague um, when, when we first met, I encourage coaches to have a position statement on how they view mental health and well being and what they will do if it shows up and to have this visible in their contracts on their website, you know, to, to have it there. So it's, they understand because my research showed that, you know, our where we assess the boundary is subjective. So where you put the boundary clear and where I put the boundary yeah. are different and they're different in every single coaching relationship we have. So it's not static, which makes it really hard when co- you know, coaches would like Oh, I, you know, a clear, this is it, this is coaching, this is therapy. It's so we're kind of in this unknown with each client individually. And by having this, you know, this is how I view it. And whether that's actually, I take a really me- medicalized approach. So if you tell me that you're going to go and see a therapist or you are depressed or, you know, you use that medicalized language. Then that's fine because you know, your client knows, it's clear. But if you're like me and you've kind of got these, you know, dual bows and you can bring on different things, then I have that disclosed. You know, I will tell my clients this isn't therapy, but it's therapeutic. Mm. And we might look at the past and I might bring in some of my therapy training, but that's co-created, we've defined that, you've given me permission to go there so that's kind of the first thing i cuz that that keeps it out of the expert zone you know they know their well being and it, it's and that's most important isn't it i think the mo- the other thing when it comes to contracting is getting coaches to have their safety net so the icf have and they've obviously updated their um their ethics and competences and capabilities recently but they actually have in there having a referral network and this is something I'm really passionate about because if we have our referral network kind of there before then we know if if something happens if we end up stumbling across something to use your words then I know I've you know I've got somebody that I can say actually this person is here but equally, I will say to my clients, so I will get an emergency contact. I won't go into too much detail, but I'll say, Look, is there somebody, if I'm ever worried about you, I can contact. And it's that, you know, and they'll often say, yes, this is my spouse or my friend or my brother or sister or whoever. Um, and it's that permission that actually, if if I am concerned or they've said something, to then open up the conversation, say, oh, you know, look, you shared some of these details with me. I'm a bit worried about what we've talked about. Could I just get so and so to check in on you later? They don't have to know anything else and keep it in that coaching way. Mm-hmm. Um, because I agree, the more we say, oh, you know, have you done this or have you done that, it's I think we're creating boxes as a coach we put ourselves into a box that means that we hold the keys to unlock and that's not right in my opinion
1: and I think there are huge benefits of knowing who your referral network Mm. is are Mm. so for example we are coming across significant numbers of people who are looking for coaches who understand neurodiversity yeah now that's not mental illness no no it's it's a it's a way of thinking, isn't it? And we've yeah. interviewed Nathan Whitbread on the uh, here at the Coaching Inn, but but I think that uh, I had a request come in today. Did you Re- really specific, really yeah. specific? So I went out to my network and said, "Is this you?" And they came back and went, "No issue."
0: <laughs> well, that's But that, so that was
1: a really well. It was one of my colleagues. They were p- pinging it back to, but but that's a. I think having a network creates a bigger space, doesn't it? So that, mm. that so that you can say, well, it might be this person, and it might be me. Let's have a mm. chat and see what might be the most useful thing here. Yeah. And again, that gives people agency, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. And it must be horrible. I mean, I I, I actually don't know any coaches that have ever done this, but it, you know, it must be horrible. Actually, I'm sorry. No, you know, off you go. Go and see a therapist. This is not, you know there's so many more ways that we can do this and say in coaching. You know, we have the ability to ask all these coaching questions. Why not use it with all this, get, you know, who to refer, when to refer, how to refer and sit there with them.
1: My way of doing it is to say, let's see how we get on. Yeah. This might be something that we can move forward in coaching. And it might be that you need a different kind of conversation with somebody else. Yeah so let's give it a go and yep. then you or I can go actually we've probably hit the boundary there maybe need to do something else I yep. can I pick up on what you said earlier because I'm yeah. really interested you said you said there was something about coaching and the workplace and then you said ethically with some beautiful <gasps> thing that yes. I've
0: forgotten I am I um so this is where I I get very fascinated. So at the moment, as the way things stand, it's, it's not unethical to coach in this space, but there, um, it's a very different type of coaching. And many coaches don't feel it's within their competences, their capabilities to coach closer to the boundary. So that is kind of one side of the coin but we kind of flip this over and we look at the continuing prevalence of mental illness and poor well-being of employees at work we look at the rising in coaching workplace coaching and some of it is um you know very i don't know specific to, I don't know, career development, leadership development, but others is general workplace life coaching. Um, And what I would love is to have a coaching tool that can help somebody that may have a diagnosed mental illness, they may just be in very poor low you know well-being they may just be experiencing poor mental health at this moment in time you know we can feel depressed and experiencing depression without actually going off to the doctors and getting it diagnosed and treated that way that actually supports people to remain in work to remain productive to keep up with what they you know all their other obligations beyond work and actually helps them to when I say recovery journey, it's not a place of oh I'd never have that problem again or never experience that challenge or issue, but actually work in a way so that they're thinking about their well being they're thinking about what it means to their well being and how that affects everything they do and they've got a coach that works with them so it's not necessarily a therapist to look at why this has happened or where this has come from but it's a coach to say okay so I understand I mean I mentioned depression but you know I understand what depression looks like I know a little bit more than you know somebody else in this space and actually how is that showing up for you how what do we how can we get you from A to B with your depression in mind or Mm. with that so that's that's kind of my utopia i suppose when i say ethically and the reason i put ethically on that is because i think there are there are lots of coaches already out there doing it and i am all for mental health training and awareness training but there's a difference between noticing the symptoms and the signs and referring to actually noticing the symptoms and signs and working with them within the coaching space yeah and that requires some research some thought some effort um and as I'm kind of talking I I always have this, uh, this slide I use it all the time it's uh Kavanaugh and Buckley to quote the reference and the ICF use it in their um, documents and it, it talks about this um coaching space and the therapy space in the middle they have these challenging clients which I hate is the term but that's the term they use for challenging clients to help identify when they might need to go to therapy but actually there's something in that challenge and it took me a long time to understand that you know while challenging clients can be lots of different things in the space of of mental health having a challenge it is challenging to coach somebody if they're experiencing poor mental health that that's why they need to be referred if they're just maybe you know boosting well-being from not such a deficit place in their in their well-being or in their mental health you're you're going to see results that you're not going to see in somebody else and, mm. and and I think that's why when i say ethically it's helping coaches navigate that space so that they understand yes, this is well-being and this is, you know, we're improving their mental well-being by doing this. But actually, if it's not working, well, maybe we need to do something else. Mm.
1: There's also something for me, ethically, which came up when you were saying it, Verity, which is about people can't untell us something they've told us. No. And the trusted space that happens in an with an external coach yeah. is different from the trusted space that happens yeah. with an internal coach. And, you know, the, the need... I think there's a huge need to do some much digger deeping. Mm. That's didn't that wasn't a deeper digging? We can dig deeper. I'm not the one who's had COVID. Some some deeper digging around how do you manage that ethically? And how and what does the distance need to be between the internal coach and the person who's being coached for it to feel
0: that, that it's a safe thing to disclose. Yeah. Um, and that's sorry go on that's a challenge that is echoed not just in coaching in workplaces you know there's um and actually not just with mental health you know you get into hidden disabilities and we've talked already about um neurodivergent you know there is as soon as there's stigma it does make disclosure very difficult Mm. and we also know about obviously psychological safety At the moment that's broken it's very hard to get trust back mm-hmm. not just within the coaching but within you know teams within workplaces um so yeah there's uh, and it, it, I'm, I'm taken back to my first point of this is it's all subjective it's all subjective so my experience of well-being and your experience of well-being and the next person's experience of well-being they'd all be very different but they're all equally valid yeah and if you go back to your statement
1: about safety Mm -hmm. everybody everybody's experience of well-being and of what's safe is different which multiplies the variety doesn't it I mean well everybody is Different. And and some people would like to talk about it at work and some people
0: would choose not to. And I think the other important factor when I think about particularly mental health in work is, you know, workplaces are a complex web of relationships and there's lots of research that shows this... (laughs) I'm going to use the word symbiotic relationship between leaders' well-being and the followers' well-being or, you know, just everybody else in the organisation. And actually, it works both ways. You know, they're interlinked. Mm. And that makes it really complex to unravel and to unpick and to also take ownership of, you know, what actually what does this belong to me and you know we quite often and uh, you know I've spoken a lot about this as well you know talking about leaders and encouraging them to model uh, mentally healthy habits so for example not having lunch at their you know desk or at their zoom screen um, and you know encourage then other people in the organization to go and do the same to have a break but the flip side is, is, you know, what well, actually, if that, you know, right now that they're doing that because they're letting off some steam because they've been stressed, they've had a late morning. So actually they need to eat their lunch in front of their Zoom screen because otherwise later they're going to feel worse because they took 20 minutes out. Now, there's I know that there'll be people listening going like, no, that's wrong. We must take a break. And that is right but i'm just demonstrating how much you know there's so much complexity in it yeah. and there's so many unknowns that it's i think i think the world of work is is changing people are owning their wellbeing a lot more now but also you know not just that you know they're they're owning um you know complex health diagnoses at work a lot more as well so we are talking more openly um but I think with that, there will be this disclosure and actually saying, no, actually, I'm going to have my lunch at my desk today because, I don't know, I need to leave early because it's flexible working and I've got to do this or whatever it is.
1: Mm. Mm. So if there was one thing that you could leave our listeners with yes, uh, that, would, that would really make a difference to the way that they engage around the mental health agenda, what would it be?
0: don't be frightened to listen thinking of you and your simplifying coaching I would definitely say listening and we have those skills as coaches sitting there with somebody while they're sharing how they're feeling does not make you responsible for it we don't have to do anything about it
1: and you don't have to unzip it
0: we can just listen we can just say it's okay tell me yeah yeah Um, and I will follow that up with a part B, which is you know if if you're encountering this more and more then do some training go and you know go and get go and upskill go and upskill
1: yeah absolutely
0: and the mental health aware training is brilliant isn't it um yeah it's a really good generic understanding of what how things might show up and, um, you know, thinking about signposting.
1: Yeah. And for those of you outside the UK, it's probably worth having a look at Mental Health Aware UK. Mental Health First Aid UK, they're called, don't they? And just see what they're, some of the things they're writing. Because I think they've done more to normalise
0: mental health in the workplace than anyone else. Yeah, they have. And they actually started in Australia. So it's a huge international... um, Set up now, yeah, brilliant. brilliant.
1: Yeah, so Verity, thank you for joining me at the Coaching Inn. If people would like to contact you to talk more about this, how do they do that?
0: So LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me because you can send me a message if you want to know more. That's fine. So that's just LinkedIn and Verity Simcox. There we'll not many Verity Simcoxes on there. <laughs> we'll pop that in the show notes. Thank you. Fantastic. Um, uh, and that's about it, really. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. It's been it feels like a long time. It's lovely to talk to you and see you again. Indeed, indeed.
1: I'm seeing some people this week face to face, and you joined in my little joke on on Twitter, which we're all find out. They're going to find out how short I am.
0: <laughs> I already know how short you are. But it oh. is it, after all this time on Zoom. Yeah, it's. Um, I've been shocked at people's heights.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a thing which takes us back to where we started about how you sit. Anyway, thank you, Verity. It's been a pleasure to have you here at the pub. Thank you. And goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual hub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.